Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lent, as I said earlier, is a time where we deliberately inspect our needs, our perceived needs, our felt needs, and consider that perhaps ways that we go about seeking these needs are destructive to ourselves, to our spiritual health, and maybe even to others. And so we're starting a series throughout Lent, starting this morning, on these felt needs, on needs that are, in fact, somewhat legitimate, but that we pursue oftentimes to our own detriment. So we're going to look at our need for freedom, our need for forgiveness, our need for love, our need to have some level of control over our circumstances. And today we're going to look at our need for happiness, our need to be happy. And as we start this uh, series, would you pray with me? God, would you meet us in this place? We would much rather meet you in joy than tears. We would much rather meet you in success than poverty, triumph rather than defeat. And so these words of your son Jesus are incredibly difficult to receive. Would you give us courage? Give us patience to sit underneath these words so that we can find you. Wherever we're coming from this morning, Christian or not, full of confidence or full of doubt, what binds us all together is our humanity and that we share common needs and that we often pursue these needs in unhealthy, destructive, and ultimately fruitless ways. Help us to bring our needs to you and may we find you willing to receive them, to transform them, to redirect them, and ultimately to fulfill them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone wants to be happy at some level, right? If you turned on the radio any time last year, you heard the most catchy and ultimately annoying song that had been written in many years. 
Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. If you went to see the Lego movie, kids, you're in here this morning. What was the song in the Lego movie? Anyone? Everything is awesome. Everything is cool if you're part of the team. But we know because we spent seven weeks in Ecclesiastes that everything isn't awesome. Everything isn't cool. And if happiness is your only truth, it'll drive you crazy. In fact, lasting happiness seems very elusive. Harriet Rubin, writing in Fast Company magazine, says, of all the subjects that we obsess about, of all the subjects that we lust after, success is the one we lie about the most. Success and its cousin money will make us secure. Success and its cousin power will make us important. Success and its cousin fame will make us happy. It's time to tell the truth. People are reaching the top, using all of their means to get money, power, and glory, and then self-destructing. Perhaps they never wanted success in the first place or didn't like what they saw when they finally achieved it. What is Harriet Rubin saying? She's saying happiness eludes us, even the successful among us. Even if you have great achievement in your chosen field, happiness is not guaranteed at the very top. In our passage that we read, Jesus is talking about our pursuit of happiness. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've probably heard these words of the Beatitudes before. My best friend growing up lived down the street, and his family never went to church. They weren't Christians, which was rare in Alabama. But he had a stuffed animal called Beatitude Bear, where the Beatitudes were stitched on the chest of, his, uh, of, the, of this bear that he slept with every night. So non-Christian family, even they were familiar with the Beatitudes and thought well enough of them to buy a stuffed animal for their son. The Beatitudes are part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the basic training that Jesus gives to his disciples. And he sit, sits down and teaches his disciples. But we also read that it's in the presence of large crowds. Whether you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus or you think yourself as part of the crowds, you're considering Jesus, maybe you're slightly skeptical, you're not sure if he has it all together, then you read this and you wonder even more, does he have it all together? These Beatitudes seem to make no sense. Well, he summarizes his thoughts of both the disciples and those in the crowd. These are his thoughts for you. And he summarizes these thoughts, and they, they're very essential to grasp, but very difficult to summarize. And we're going to look at just three things. Who is it that is truly blessed? What is true blessedness? And why do we desperately need to hear this? So first of all, who is truly blessed? As I said, Jesus' words sound completely crazy at first. Does he live in the real world? They may not strike you this way because you're probably familiar with them. Maybe you grew up with a Beatitude Beagle. But what if you're hearing them for the very first time? Let me rephrase them for a fresh hearing. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are those drowning in sorrow. Blessed are the ones whom the world calls weak and unproductive. 
Blessed are those starving for justice. Blessed are those who are taken advantage of. Blessed are those thought weird because of their single-minded devotion. Blessed are those who diffuse conflict even when it means they could get wounded. Blessed are those who are picked on and excluded. These words seem totally counterintuitive, totally contradictory to common sense. Because who is blessed and happy in our eyes? It's the rich, the powerful, the successful. Or maybe it's the beautiful and the popular and the famous, as Harriet Rubin talked about. And the line between these two groups is getting increasingly vague. We are trained by our culture. We absorb the assumption in our culture that it's the go-getters. It's the, the movers and the shakers. The difference makers are the ones who have it made. It's the healthy and the wealthy. Those who wear nice clothes, those who live in beautiful homes, those who eat at Michelin star restaurants. These are the people who are living the good life. Or maybe you have a vision of the good life that isn't so tied to affluence and bling. Instead, it's the carefree. It's the free spirits who are truly blessed. Those who have found their zen. Those who have achieved peace and tranquility through detachment or meditation or recreation. What Jesus tells us here is it's neither of these groups that are necessarily blessed and not necessarily happy. It's exactly the opposite. It's those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst not for things and bling, but for righteousness. Jesus calls blessed the unlikely, the unexpected, and the undeserving. So what does he mean by blessedness? What is true blessedness? Well, what Jesus is saying here goes against almost everything we believe and act upon in our day-to-day lives. We are driven by a vision of the good life that is nearly polar opposite. He champions poverty of spirit, but we want and pursue self-confidence. We hide and avoid sadness and sorrow, but he defends mourning as spiritually viable and valuable. Instead of meekness, we're obsessed with self-advancement. We aren't hungry and thirsty for righteousness, but for comfort and security. We don't want to extend mercy, but we want revenge, or at least recompense. We are rarely single-minded, single-mindedly devoted, but rather we're fickle and shape-shifting. In conflict, we tend to quickly build alliances against our opposition instead of doing whatever it takes for peace. It's hard for us to follow Jesus because we really don't want Him to be right. We don't want Him to be right that this is the true path of spirituality. Our vision of the happy life is shaped by the good life as it's defined in the American West. Our search for happiness is the search to be satisfied with our situation in life. And this is why some of us change jobs, we change career paths, we change neighborhoods, we change churches, and sometimes we change spouses because we want a different situation that we think will guarantee us the good life, the happy life. In other words, we root our joy and our happiness in our circumstances. But don't we know it? That even when we think we've found it, that it's so fragile and vulnerable. One meeting with our boss 
can totally strip away that happy life, that happy, secure world. One nasty breakup, one change in the church, one downturn in the stock market, and we go to pieces. Our vows and commitments go out the window. Jesus' conception of contentment, his vision of blessedness, is completely different. Because it's not joy or happiness with your situation in life, but in your situation in life. There's a blessedness that is independent of circumstances, that can shoulder the weight of real tears, that can coexist while longing for things to be different. True blessedness is found in receiving the good news of God's welcome. The Beatitudes are not commands. They are pronouncements of grace. They are invitations to receive. They're postures that we are to adopt adopt in order to put ourselves in a position to receive God's grace, to receive the good life that He wants for us, which may be very different than our conception of the good life. He's saying if you're spiritually bankrupt, if you're overwhelmed with sorrow, if you're starving for justice, I have good news for you. Blessedness does not equal happiness, at least not in the way that we conceive of happiness in our relatively shallow and sometimes very selfish ways. It's richer, it's deeper, and far more durable. Blessedness is something that we receive, not something that we achieve. It is Jesus' declaration over you. Blessed are you. It's possessing the favor, the welcome, the fatherly love of God and knowing that that will never dissipate, never change, never be altered. It will never end. Your circumstances can't change it. That's the blessedness of God. It's possessing His eternal welcome and being at peace with Him. Now, why do we so desperately need to hear this? Well, how we define happiness drives our decisions. It drives our choices about what job we take, which neighborhood we decide to live in, how we spend our money, who we choose to date or marry. It drives where we worship. And here's the uncomfortable truth. For those of us who are insiders this morning, most Christians pursue happiness in exactly the same way that everyone else does. We want less stress, more flexibility, a minimization of sorrow and sadness, and a maximization of pleasure and comfort, just like everyone else. But see, the problem is not that we want too much, it's that we want too little. We want to have more time to play and lives free of conflict, but Jesus wants to give us resurrection. Jesus wants to give us new life. Jesus wants to give us eternal life with him. It's not that we want too much, it's that we want too little, that we settle for too little. Though he seems to be saying that there's only a full happiness that will only come in the future, there's a blessedness that transcends that happiness that can be had now. Have you noticed that the people who make happiness their non-negotiable, happiness their bottom line, I will be happy or else? Their demand, their demands often make them the most miserable, most insufferable people on earth because we get more and more self-consumed and self-absorbed in an effort to 
protect ourselves from sadness and sorrow, to maintain the comforts that we've accumulated. We've gotten so accustomed to them that we can't imagine life anything different. We seek first. Our bottom line is our own happiness and joy. And what Jesus says is, no, instead, seek the kingdom of God. Seek His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Did you hear that? Happiness doesn't come by seeking happiness. Happiness comes by seeking God. And this changes how we hear the Beatitudes, because they are the marks of those who seek God, who seek righteousness. Jesus isn't saying, seek to be as sad as possible all the time, and then you'll be rich spiritually. He's not saying, seek to be persecuted and make sure it really, really hurts. What he's saying is that when sadness comes, when weakness sets in, when conflict arises, when persecution lands on you, that God is trying to tell you something, that he's trying to tell you that you can't find ultimate happiness in this life. Though it's painful, these circumstances are messages of grace. Though the fullness of this realization awaits us in the future, that future kingdom, Jesus is saying, has invaded the presence in Him, in His person, in His life, death, and resurrection. That that's the the window that breaks into the now, the window of the future that breaks into the now. It's invaded in the present, in the person of Jesus. Now let's conclude this way, because you're probably thinking, well... I've tried this, but it, it doesn't seem to work. I don't feel blessed in my various circumstances. I don't have the joy that you're talking about. Well, maybe we really haven't come to grips with the very first of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Absolute helplessness. Absolute dependency. Why are we not receiving what Jesus is saying Why are we not resting in that blessedness? Well, maybe we haven't wrestled with the first beatitude, that we are meant to be absolutely dependent, absolutely vulnerable, absolutely helpless before God. Ultimately, Jesus is saying, blessed are the spiritually desperate. Blessed are those who realize they need the generosity of someone else. Those with nowhere else to turn might, in fact, then turn to Jesus. A pastor friend of mine told me a story of a young college student that he met, and she was majoring in feminist studies at a very prestigious university. And she met some Christians who were part of his college uh, ministry and were connected with his church. And after a while, she asked to meet with my friend, and she said across the table from him through tears, I've tried being 20 pounds thinner. I've tried getting a 4.0 GPA. I've tried involving myself in social service. Pretty much everything anyone told me would make me happy. And it all seems to add up to nothing. I guess I want to know what it really means to be a Christian. The problem is that most of us aren't poor in spirit. We're middle class. We've made something out of life. We have some level of success, some amount of possessions. And if we're Christians, we've probably read enough books on theology that we can navigate Christian conversations with a certain level of confidence. And into those contexts, Jesus says, no, it's the spiritual zeros. 
The kingdom only comes upon those who declare spiritual bankruptcy, people with nothing to bargain with, with God. Think about who is attracted to Jesus. Think about who flocked to him. Prostitutes, lepers, outcasts, rejects, spiritual zeros loved Jesus. They were under no illusion that they had it together, no illusion that their theology earned them a seat at the table. And if you miss this, then you miss radical grace. You can't really have the blessedness of God until you give up on all of your resources, all of your claims upon Him, until you give up on your circumstances and yourself as the source of blessedness and happiness. So maybe there's one other objection that we'll handle and then conclude. I hear what you're saying, but why believe Jesus? If what Jesus says here in this passage completely contradicts common sense and what we believe in day-to-day life, then why believe him? Well, first you have to see that what he is saying should be true of you was true of him first. He became impoverished in spirit when he took his harsh sins upon himself. He mourned the world's brokenness. When he wept at the tomb of Lazarus and held out his arms in sorrow over Jerusalem, he wept. He was meek and humble when he allowed himself to be crucified for us. He thirsted for your forgiveness and your righteousness. He brought peace with God and peace with others through his death and his resurrection. He was persecuted and rejected for righteousness' sake, for your sake. And the Bible tells us, friends, is that He did this for us. He did all of these things for you. He lived the Beatitudes so that you could be set free spiritually, so that you could find ultimate happiness, not superficial and shallow happiness. The Beatitudes don't tell us how to earn blessedness, but instead how to receive it. And we receive it by receiving Him. Let's pray. Father, as we continue our worship service and conclude in coming to Your table, I pray that You would feed us, that You would change us, that You would make us into people who understand that the way up is through going down, that the way to be full is by being in poverty of spirit. Lord, we pray that you would not only change our minds, but change our lives, change us as a church, change us as people here seeking and questing and wondering. Father, I pray that you would give us answers and you would feed us where we need food. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.